All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Mike Murdoch. Mike is president of M2 Collaborative Solutions. He has 38 plus years of manufacturing, operations, and vendor supplier optimization experience. He works with cross-functional teams internally and externally and works directly with key strategic vendors that support their daily manufacturing needs and requirements. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your uh, your show and, and uh, to share my experiences. Just briefly, 38 plus years working for General Mills, my first 27 years was really focused on the day-to-day manufacturing of multiple different products at the largest plant that uh, General Mills owns, which is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And and, uh, that plant, when I retired in July, was generating $2.4 billion worth of revenue a year for for General Mills, which is uh, roughly $17.5 to $18 billion company. So pretty good chunk of, of revenue coming out of Cedar Rapids. And the last 12 years is a unique role that I was in where I focused primarily working with our key strategic vendors that provided materials, ingredients, and services, not only to the Cedar Rapids facility, but through our supply chain. So I worked uh, both in North America and I did some global wide uh, initiatives that helped our supply chain with our key vendors. And I know that that vendor supplier relationship is really where you put your focus. And it also got you through some really tough times in these last couple of years with the pandemic. So share with us some of the examples of where you saw that really partnering with the people who are giving you the ingredients and the supplies you need can make a difference and create a win-win for everybody. As we are all aware that all of our worlds kind of got turned upside down back in March of of 2020, the norm no longer was the way that business was going to operate over. Nobody knew how long, obviously, because the pandemic was new to all of us and we didn't know what to expect. The thing that was refreshing and, and encouraging for not just me, but our general mill supply chain was those key strategic vendors that I had spent years working with to what I call lay the foundation, to build that trust, to build that working relationship, to be able to have those, which sometimes could be uncomfortable conversations, be very fluid and very you know, non-judgmental. It allowed us to really get after the opportunities and issues in front of us in a non-threatening way for either side of the table. So what took place as the pandemic started to hit in the March, April timeframe of 20, a lot of these strategic vendors that I had been working with for years reached out to me via phone calls, emails, Zoom calls, and everything else, and said, understand that General Mills is a top three priority for us. We will do all we can to make sure your supply chain is not disrupted. And so that was very reassuring 
knowing that there was a lot of unknowns in front of all of us at that point in time, having that confidence, having that reassurance from these key vendors that without them, we're, we're idle, we're dead in the water, we can't make finished products that goes out to the consumers. It allowed us to move forward with a great deal of confidence, believing that we would have the materials and ingredients that we needed to make our finished products. So keep in mind, I'm talking about things like Cheerios, Wheaties, Lucky Charms, Betty Crocker Frostings, Betty Crocker Fruit Snacks, Progresso Soups, um, Nature Valley, you know, granola bars. I could go on and on and talk about all the different products in the General Mills portfolio. Think about when you first went to the grocery stores early on in that pandemic, how many empty shelves there were. Toilet paper paper obviously was a big conversation, (laughs) um, which which was kind of hard to understand and everything, but it was. And it wasn't very long into that pandemic where some of those things that you purchased on a regular basis wasn't on the shelves. They were right. not available. Well, let's think about, obviously, those the vendors that you were dealing with. Oh, it's General Mills, for goodness sake. They are a billion and billion dollar company, and they don't want to lose that business. But there's still something to, to the relationships that you built with those to give them that type of loyalty to you beside the fact that you were probably a big chunk of their business. So what did that look like? Yeah, great Great question. You know, it's just not about the annual spend, you know, because the relationships that I was involved with was anywhere from an eight to a $400 million a year spend for General Mills. Obviously, that is carrying a little bit of influence and weight with these folks. But more importantly, it was the way that we treated each other, the way that we respected one another. And, and what I mean by that was we took the time to understand each other's needs, each other's complexities of the challenges of making that finished product. And in their case, when they was providing us materials, we went and looked and understood what it took for them to deliver that material or that ingredient that was so unique and that we needed to be specific to our General Mills requirements We took the time to understand what that was about and what those challenges were. And then we we helped each other eliminate some of those, you know, frustrations, some of those things that prevented us from being successful in the past. We worked on eliminating those things to make it more efficient, which created more capacity, but more importantly, made it safer for the employees because we was eliminating some of those inefficient things that created stops and required people to do things that was not necessarily safe or what we wanted them to be doing. We, we laid that groundwork. We, right. we, we got after that. Well, and one of the things too, I know you and I in a previous conversation even talked about things like labeling. Again, you have a company that's as big as General Mills saying, you know, this is pretty much the way we want it. You have to do it this way no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and that, but you actually took the time to see where some of those problems were 
with the machinery to, uh, you know, and you can, you know it better than I do, but just some of the things that taking the time to understand where your vendors are coming from, I believe also led to that loyalty. So share that story. Yeah, that's, that was really a great, great uh, story and result that turned out well for not only General Mills, but for our vendor. And to kind of lead into it, um, as, as we, you know, within the General Mills organization would track performance, it was all based off of available uptime capacity for those particular lines. And that was based off of 100% optimal capabilities of a line or a system. And as we looked at that, the labels that we're talking about has to do with Betty Crocker one pound tubs, which I'm sure many of people have purchased these one pound tubs to either frost a, a cake or cupcakes or cookies or something. Well, that label that goes on the outside, whether it's buttercream, whether it's vanilla, chocolate, wherever it is, each one of those labels has to be put on a tub that comes in blank with no information on it. And so you would think that's not a big deal, but keep in mind, there's hundreds of these tubs traveling through the system in a minute. And these labels are being picked off, hopefully one at a time out of a magazine and then wrapped around this tub that's spinning and glued to it on the bottom side. And then it spins and we glue it on the top side. Well, there was a lot of frustration and a lot of downtime associated with that label being applied we were losing roughly 26 hours a month in this process alone. So imagine one day out of your month, you're not making product because of the fact that you're fighting this label being put onto this tub of frosting. Fast forward, reached out to the vendor company that provides these labels for us and, and just started sharing some information and, and talking about the concerns about it and invited them to come in along with the equipment vendor that handled this label that was being applied to this tub. We had all kinds of resources within General Mills, engineers, operators, um, maintenance people involved. And really what it was about in the, the first message to everybody was, we are not in this conversation to try to find somebody to blame for the poor performance. We know we got a problem. We know we have opportunities to get better, but please understand we are not in here to point blame. We are not in here to accuse anybody of anything. What we are in here to do is to gather facts and data based off of information that we can track and we can validate. So with that in mind, I asked everybody to leave their opinions and leave their emotions outside the door before they came into the meeting because we wanted it just to be a very friendly, data-driven conversation. So we spent a day and a half talking about all the information on the equipment within the, the plant in Cedar Rapids, as well as the process at this label company in Fort Worth, Texas. And then also the equipment vendor that handles the label being placed shared some of their data and their information as well. And then we basically looked at what are the top five areas that we should focus on trying to make improvements. And we identified those. And, and 
What I will tell you is there was responsibility on both sides of the table that needed to be addressed. And for General Mills, we needed to go invest roughly $30,000 in capital to improve the equipment that had been in place for about 15 years to update to some of the changes in technology that had taken place. So we committed to that. We took a group of roughly five employees from the Cedar Rapids General Mills plants down to the label plant in Fort Worth, Texas. And we looked at their process and we sat down and talked about what are the things that we're asking them to do that makes it challenging. One of the things we learned about quickly was there was printing on the back siding of the label that had recipes and ideas of how to use frosting that had been in place for 10 years. And quite honestly, nobody knew why it was there and it didn't add any value. But what it did do was add six hours of incremental handling and processing to the label company. So imagine if now you can eliminate that six hours of adding ink to the backside, waiting for that ink to dry and cure before you go back and handle it again. That's a big, big efficiency gain and an elimination of non-value added steps and processes that create challenges on their side of making that label. Huge improvement. What we also did was look at the layout of the sheet of the labels that, that was being made and we improved that by 7%. So out of every sheet that was basically being printed and cut and then labeled with the information, we added 7% more coverage to that sheet. So now you're getting a better yield out of that initial paper or that, that material that you're using and you're doing it in less time. And so you're gaining capacity on their end. So all of this stuff starts to be win-win scenarios. And that's what we really focused on. When you're looking at a product, particularly a food product, yes, I buy wine based on the pretty label, but I don't, I don't even think about it if I'm buying frosting or if I'm buying Cheerios or if I'm buying food, that's probably the least of my attention. But when it comes to that attention to detail, knowing that every single area of the process, that when you pay that level of attention to detail to the most minor parts of a product that really have nothing to do with the taste, with the freshness, anything, and be able to show those type of cost savings, you know, you're on to something because I think there's too many times that we just look at the really big parts and where we can make a huge difference where you were making a significant difference with really a little teeny tiny part. Yeah, absolutely. So to, to kind of take you to where we ended up at there. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we were experiencing 26 plus hours a month of downtime after we completed the work And keep in mind, this had been going on for the better part of 10 years, a lot of frustration on the plant floor from the operators, mechanics and everything. So we spent roughly six months working on making these changes, making the improvements, adding the new technology from the capital purchase we made. When we got done, the average monthly downtime was under one hour. So we gained a full day of production back. As a result of that, the employees, the operators, the mechanics on the floor, they started believing 
that there was a new way to address issues that have been going on for years. So they started becoming more engaged, more involved, coming up with thoughts and ideas about what else can we do to improve our day-to-day manufacturing process. What I would say is these were things that basically when those guys woke up and put their feet on the floor in the morning, that's was their first thought is I got to go fight eight hours of this label. Well, guess what? That was eliminated. It's no longer in front of them. And, and so as a result of that, that vendor that we worked with, we were doing roughly $8 million a year worth of business with them. Keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, there's companies we do 400 to 500 million dollars a year with at General Mills. That label vendor, we took that same application that we improved and learned on the Betty Crocker frosting, and we applied it to the Pro- Progresso soup label because they provided those labels as well. Saw the exact same benefits and wins. Fast forward to our annual supply chain vendor awards ceremony upheld in our corporate office in Minneapolis, this small little vendor that we're spending eight to $9 million a year with named General Mills Supply Chain Vendor of the Year. Wow. Huge, huge win for those guys. Fast forward to 12 months to 15 months later, because of their willingness to collaborate work with General Mills to make the process better, to drive non-traditional cost savings that ended up saving money for both of us, not just for General Mills. They saved money substantially on their side of it as well. They ended up tripling their business with General Mills. And, and within that 12 to 15 month time frame afterwards, they were doing 25 to $30 million a year in business with General Mills. So wow. there's another... There's another payback for them being willing to collaborate with us and, and look for ways to optimize and improve the process. Well, and I think one of the things that, and not that you breezed over it, but kind of went over it quickly, is the attitude of the employees. Because as you said, they knew that they were going to go to work and have this frustration messing around with this machine. And you took the steps that you needed working with the vendors, working with everybody to fix that. So talk a little bit about how that really improved employee morale, employee engagement levels, productivity, the things that you saw from the people who work there. Yeah, yeah. No, it quite honestly, it it had an instant impact um, on the morale on the floor. And I'm going to I'm going to move out of our our you know, frosting division and, and move up into our cereal department in Cedar Rapids and talk about just the experience that took place up there. So one of the other projects that I had worked on, we saw double digit gains on the performance of that one cereal line that we were focusing on. And as a result of that, these were some of our most senior tenured employees in the, in the plant. Most of them had 20 years plus experience working in that plant. And when one line that was chosen to be, I'm going to say the guinea pig for this new philosophy of let's work and collaborate, share information, thoughts, and ideas with our key suppliers and see where it will get us. And then within about 
that one went really quick within about a two month time frame. They, they saw about a 14% improvement on their line performance day in and day out. All of a sudden I had people knocking on my door, office door saying, when are we next? How come you're not helping us? And I'm like, you know what? I'll help whatever you want. And so it became more of a pull instead of a push. And, and when, when you've got, you know, the morale and when you've got the people on the floor that have been frustrated for years and keep in mind, like I said, these employees, for the most part, they get 15, 20 plus years of experience. They know quite a bit. They know why they're successful or they know why they're not successful. When something looks like help to them, they get excited and they want to be a part of it. And once they believe and trusted that there was a process for them to leverage and use to help make their day better, more efficient, and most importantly for all of us, safer, sign me up, come help us. Here's some ideas and thoughts that we've been talking about for years and nobody has listened to us and, and we haven't been able to get after this. We want you to help us figure out how to do this. And so the unique thing about that was I'm not the problem solver. I'm the person that brings all of the meaningful and necessary resources together. And what I do is kind of lead that conversation so that it's really staying focused on factual data-driven information and it doesn't become an emotional conversation because emotion, emotions really take you off path and, and don't allow you to get to the true root cause of what's stopping you from being successful. Well, and with some of these in manufacturing, inherently, we have an older workforce, a more tenure workforce that's been with us. And sometimes we're afraid to bring changes to them because you know that they're going to fight and kick and scratch. And we've been doing it this way for 40 years. But they're also the people, and I think you've demonstrated this nicely, is that when, number one, they're involved in the process, but you can get that buy-in because you're listening to them and you're doing it over time and you're showing them how it's making them, how it's keeping them safer and making their lives easier and better, that then they become your biggest proponents of those new systems and get all the less tenured people to buy in along with them. Absolutely. They became informal leaders on the floor and they didn't even know what they was doing. That, that was the beauty of it. Those, those people became leaders amongst their peers without even realizing what they was doing. And, and, and the one thing that I'll never forget, and, and I chuckle about it often when I talk about it, is out on the uh, cereal packaging floor, keep in mind, like I said, this particular person had been there 30 years, and uh, his nickname was Grumpy. That's what everybody <laughs> called him. And, and, uh, I think I, I know him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was one of the few and fortunate ones that had a fairly good relationship with him and he'd open up and talk to me and everything. And he was on that team that was the first one to have that 14% increase in performance up in the cereal department. He became the number one advocate for the new process up in that department. He made it so much easier for me to go work with other people he would sit around in the break room and talk about, hey, my day is so much better because of mm -hmm. this, this, and this. And 
again, it wasn't about what I did for them personally. It's what they were freed up to do to help themselves out, enabling them to get in front of the you know key suppliers when their key resources and talk about in great detail and in detail. Quite honestly, I I wouldn't have the experience and knowledge to talk about with those people because I didn't live it eight to 12 hours every day like these people have for years. And so when you just get those people together, you almost sit back and you allow those conversations to take place. And then you guide them on what the process is gonna look like to make those improvements and to free them up to do the things differently that they've been doing in order to get those positive results. And the one thing, the one thing that, you know, is really important is it needs to be a win-win scenario. It has to be good for both sides. And, and one thing that I always shared with our vendors is if it's good for one of us and not the other one, it's not good for either one of us. It's, right. it's really got to be something that is beneficial for both sides. So as we get to the end of our time together, boy, time flies when you're having fun. It does. What would be your best tip, your best idea for somebody listening to start to build better relationships with their suppliers and vendors? How do you get that process started? Yeah. You know, the first thing that I'd say is you've got to really take the time to get to know your your vendors capabilities on a very personal and an in-depth level. And, and what I found very quickly was that mentality of, oh, the vendors are just trying to make my life miserable. They're, they're sending us junk and everything else. No, most of the time what they're sending you is what you're asking them to provide. And instead of really leveraging that vendor's lengthy experience, knowledge, and expertise in the field that they exist in, we want to tell them as a customer how to provide that material or that ingredient when quite honestly, they know better than we do. So don't be afraid to expose yourself and say, listen, here are some of the key things, attributes that we need your material, your ingredient, your service to provide to us. If I was to give you basically a blank sheet of paper, a contract, and ask you to fill it out, where would you start and what would that look like versus me handing you a contract that has all these requirements on it that we think are best for us? I want you as the expertise and that person, that supplier that has all this experience working with all the different customers, tell me what we can do differently and better. Absolutely. Now, we have spent our whole conversation talking about all the cool things that you did at General Mills, but what are you doing with M2 Collaborative Solutions? And if somebody did want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way to get in touch? My best means of communication and contact is through my email, which is mdoc50 at gmail.com. Or you can call me directly. I I answer my cell phone. It's 319-389-5887. 
And uh, I can be reached at either one of those contacts. And, uh, you know, what I am doing and enjoying is uh, I'm getting in front of small conferences of, of people in the manufacturing world talking about this exact same thing. Uh, I'm just doing guest speaking um, in a lot of different uh, places where I'm sharing just examples of, of what I did, how I did it, and, and why we did it the way we did, because it was different than the way that General Mills had done business for a long, long time. And, yeah. and so last thing that I will share with people was during the years that I was in that role, I averaged about three to $4 million a year of cost savings for General Mills in, in the initiatives that I was working on. So it pays itself back financially, but more importantly, the impact that it has on your employees, morale and safety. Yeah. And there's definitely some investment there, but it sounds like it's really that attention to detail, having those conversations and getting people involved that allow you to really turn around a company, no matter how big or how small it is. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, some of the smaller ones could really benefit from this mentality. Absolutely. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity and and, uh, stay safe, everyone. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.